0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Mentally Unscripted, your number one podcast. Listen to two regular guys talk about complex issues and figure out better ways to talk about them with your friends and family. I'm uh, Paul. I'm here with Scott. Scott, how are you today? I'm
1: good. I'm good. I'm just wondering, would it be better to have two regular guys talking about complex issues or two complex guys talking about just regular old simple issues?
0: (laughs) You, well, yeah, that's, that's a great point. Maybe all the issues really are that simple and we just make them complex. You think that's just part of the yeah. human condition?
1: <laughs> yeah. And simple guys making simple things sound hard. Yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> we just, uh, we just confuse you with a bunch of, uh, obnoxious and stupid terms so that you, uh, you just grow frustrated. Maybe that's what it is.
1: Right. Yeah. Next stop politics.
0: Oh jeez. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> well Scott, how's your week going?
1: Uh, good, good. I just uh, got my vaccine card uh, laminated. Thank you, uh, Office Depot, for offering that free service. Oh, there, uh, so, very yeah, nice. I've got something to to wave in the faces of people uh, as I am walking around without a mask on.
0: You are going to bravely go out there without a mask and see who uh, who comes up and starts attacking you and call you an anti masker.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I didn't wasn't getting the vaccine wasn't necessarily my idea. Uh, But it was one of those things where some uh, older folks in the family had had expressed that they would be a little more comfortable visiting with us if we got the vaccine. So this is one situation where I had to be a man and step up and do what was good for the family. There you Uh, go. Put the whole liberty thing aside. Um, But I still do believe that, you know, you got to decide what's best for you, that we should not be getting forced to take these things. Um, And so I, I voluntarily decided to do it. And I've got now my laminated vaccine card. Yay, lamination! Yay, lamination! Yeah. Yay, lamination. <laughs> yeah. You
0: know, as, um, I always think back to that that uh, description of how you treat people by Nasim Taleb, who said he's a he's a communist with his family, he's a socialist with his town, he's a Republican at the uh, at the state level, and he's a um, he's a libertarian at the national level and anything above that. And uh, it is good to. Especially those of us who ascribe to more of a libertarian principle. Uh you don't 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 live on an island, right? So it's uh you, you gotta think about the other people around you.
1: Exactly. So so, so I am fully vaccinated and I've got the laminated card to prove it.
0: Love it. Love it. Well, I d I can't wait to uh to our next podcast and we hear about how you had to uh take it out and shake it in people's faces who so were getting
1: rude. <laughs> yeah. I should start filming. I'll hire a film crew to follow me around.
0: There you go. Uh, get, get a TikTok video yeah. going.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how about you? How's your week?
0: Well, you know, it's just packing, packing, packing. Uh, as listeners know, I'm moving. My parents are helping them move state to state. And um, it's, a, it's a huge process. They've got 30 years or actually longer than that. They've been married 50 plus years and they've got uh, this is the first time they're really doing a deep cleanse of as much of that stuff as they can. So we're sentimental folk, and so we keep things around for way longer than we need to. And now we're trying to purge that, and uh, that's a bit of a process. Plus the usual stuff of just having to try and um, make sure that you move things um, in a, in a safe way. And I, I you know, you realize when you're packing that the the degree of safety you put around an item is about your uh, how much you care about it, not really how fragile it is. Uh, which, which was kind of a, a, interesting point I realized as we were going through things looking and going, does this matter to anybody except us? And the answer is no, unequivocally. No, no one in the marketplace wants to buy any of our junk, but it means something to us and that, that, that matters, right?
1: So, <laughs> it, it, yep, it does. Sentimental value is, is worth a lot.
0: Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So no, it's, it's yep. going okay. The weather's gorgeous. Um, doing daily walks in Reno is really nice. So I, I can't complain. But um but that's not what we're talking about today. We're not talking about our lives. Today we're going to be talking about inflation, right? Hey, and uh, exactly. Right? Yeah,
1: just like just like my inflated ego.
0: There we go. Just like your inflated ego and uh yeah, it's uh this this topic could not be more top of mind. I just this last week we saw headlines uh that sent the stock market tumbling where people were calling out the fed saying you know the fed is a liar we're seeing all kinds of inflation the, the they must be lying to to everybody and um we thought this would be a great a great topic to cover because it's it's obviously top of mind for us uh you know we have topics here talking about mmt we we've done a couple of episodes talking about bitcoin and deflationary type of currencies and so the the, the broader question is is inflation? What what is it? What does it mean to us? Who's who's harmed by it? And that's what we're going to be discussing today. Um, you know, really trying to give a definition as we see it. Uh, what are the causes of it? And you know, is it is it good or bad? And who is harmed by it? So, Scott, maybe I'll, I'll kick it off to you. When when someone says inflation, how how do you think about defining inflation?
1: I define it the same way. I think most of our listeners do. And that is just an increase in the price level. If I go to the store and I see that bread is now more expensive then uh, that is inflation to me. There's, there's more to it. So when we ask this question of, you know, is the fed lying? technically they're not lying. They're just not giving you the whole story. So, yeah. uh, you know, one mental model there is always understand that there's a bigger picture and It's good to listen to a podcast like this and to read uh, an an article that Lynn Alden wrote that uh, is is a a really good primer for inflation. Mm -hmm. She explains it, I think, pretty well. And everything she says, I don't know that every economist would 100% agree with her, but it gives you a good framework to start working off of. Yeah. And so that's what we want to try to do here is to just help folks see that, you know, there's more than what you're hearing. You know, it, when you hear the Fed saying that, you know, inf- inflation's only 0.1% or whatever the latest number was. Um, but you're going to the grocery store and you're seeing that your your sausage, your breakfast sausage is now, you know, a dollar more expensive than it was a couple weeks ago. And you're saying that's a hell of a lot more than 0.1%. Where the, where the hell is this coming from? Right. Uh, right. We wanted you to help see the bigger picture, see where that number yeah. that the Fed is quoting is coming from, and where the disconnect is there. Because you're not crazy, yeah. right? Prices are going up. <laughs> we know that. <laughs> um, or you may lumber, be crazy, is, but not because of what you see. Yeah, <laughs> in exactly. inflation. Um, um, you know, lumber is what tripled in price. Um, yeah. recently. Uh, you know, I saw a picture of. I think it was a gas station in Minnesota was charging like nine bucks for a gallon of gasoline. Um,
0: now, that's,
1: now inflation in that sense is because of a supply shock. I think um, yeah. with the pipeline being cut shut down. But that's a good that's a good example, right? That that is inflation, even if it's right. just temporary. It's inflation. Uh, so we'll talk about all that. And so when you're sitting around the dinner table and you're talking to your friends and family uh, about inflation, you'll you'll know you'll understand how to talk about it. You'll understand the yeah. different types of inflation, the source of it, and it, you you can be the expert and educate your friends.
0: Yeah, the the, the, yeah. the most uh, hof- hopefully informed enough to have a good conversation about it because yeah. you know I think it's it's a polarizing topic uh, and maybe it shouldn't be, but it seems like it is, right? Um, and and perhaps everything is polarized at this point in time, but you have some people that will say exactly that that there's Um, I, I see it with my own eyes and I see it in my bills when I'm at the grocery store, I'm seeing a a rise in prices and then you'll see someone clap back and say, no, 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 look, look, look at this data. And they'll show some charts from the fed, uh, looking at, um, the fact that they haven't been able to hit their two and a half percent CPI inflation target for, for a long time. And, and and that just creates a, a certain amount of confusion. So hopefully we can get through and, and, Sort of um, take away some of the the clouds and the haze uh, caused by the, the inflation discussion. So,
1: right and guess- remember, folks. Yeah, if you want to, sorry, Paul. I just want to throw yeah, this no. out there. I mean, if you want to start gaining autonomy from the system that you feel like is holding you down and that's confusing you and and making you feel like you're crazy, knowledge is the first step. Right. So, like we said, yes. when the when the Fed's talking about point one percent inflation or whatever and you're not seeing that reflected in your gas prices and your food prices, you'll understand why you'll understand the difference. You'll understand where they're coming from and you'll understand why they're telling you the story that they're telling you. Absolutely. So, so, so with so all that said,
0: let's let's start with terminology <laughs> with all that. said, let's, let's start with terminology. So we, we go back to the question, what, what does inflation mean? And, and I think, what you said is the absolute right one. Inflation is simply a rise in prices. And so with a rise, you know, you have a slope, which is how steeply it's moving. And then you have a, um, and you have a direction, right? Inflation means that the price is going up. Deflation means the price is going down, right? It's, it's really that simple. Now the rate of change also matters, right? So if it's going up or going down, how quickly that happens is going to be perceptible to you. If a, uh, Let's say any any type of product goes up by one percent a year for ten years. It's possible that you won't really notice that change, right? On the other hand, if it's going one percent up uh, every month, then it's it's highly it's more likely that you'll notice that change uh, and you'll you'll glue into it. So the direction that it's going, uh, if it's going up, it's inflation. If it's going down, it's deflation. And if it's staying uh, neutral, then you found an amazing product because almost nothing stays that way, <laughs> right? right?
1: Yeah. Um, and At that point, you really uh, are going crazy. So, yeah.
0: yeah, you really are going crazy. You, you're not seeing anything uh, clearly. So, so we have very, very basic kind of ideas around inflation and deflation. Uh, the, the other term that you'll hear is what we we'll call hyperinflation. Uh, that's a term that's, that's thrown around quite a bit and that means that you have uh, very high levels of inflation uh, happening at a very quick pace. And so I think the number I saw was about 50% month over month, uh, which, as you can imagine, if, if every month things are going up by, by 50%, by the end of the year, you have um, you know, exponential growth on, on the cost of goods. And this is what uh, some countries have experienced, like Venezuela, Venezuela. In modern times, uh, Zimbabwe uh, are just two examples of countries that have had to gone through hyperinflation. Uh, But most of the inflation that we talk about in in developed countries in the U.S. is more of the inflation deflation kind of narrative. So, I guess from a a definitions perspective, Scott, uh, anything else to add there?
1: Uh, A couple things. One thing about hyperinflation is a lot of the the doomsday folks on the economic front will talk about the u s. going into hyperinflation and just understand that hyperinflation is is extreme. and they'll use that word uh, as a way to try to um, generate an emotional reaction, okay? um so it, you know we're talking about hyperinflation it, it most likely we're not going to see that it's possible um but most likely we're not so you know when you hear those folks understand that they're they're trying to elicit some sort of a reaction out of you now we we could see very high inflation and like like we talked about you know we are seeing that but just try to keep things in yeah. perspective um and and then the other ideas behind inflation right? is The more traditional definition of inflation was an increase in the money supply. It didn't necessarily Mm -hmm. factor prices into it where, so the the government would increase the money supply. Inflation of prices would be a possible result of that, but that wasn't what they referred to as inflation. Now, recently over the last I don't know, a couple of decades, um, the, f- the term inflation has begun to uh, mean more uh, an increase in the general price level.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, But we still do hear people using those distinctions. So it, it's important when you're talking about inflation to make sure you define your terms, make sure everybody understands what you're talking about. Yeah. So we are seeing inflation with the government expanding the money supply right now. Uh, This, you know, latest infrastructure bill. I don't know how many trillions we're up to now, but the government doesn't take in that much money in revenue. So it's going to have to print money to cover that. So there's going to be inflation in the sense of the money supply. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now the question is, is what does that money supply? What's it going to do to the economy? Are we going to see inflation in prices or are we going to see inflation in, um, in asset prices, right? So they're different things. There's consumer prices and asset prices. And a lot of that depends on government policy on how it's going to distribute the money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, when we're talking about inflation, right, we've got an increase in the money supply is inflation, an increase in consumer prices is inflation, an increase in asset prices is inflation. Mm -hmm. Okay. So again, you know, be sure to define your terms. It's really important because if Paul and I are talking and we're talking about different types of inflation, right, we're going to get into an argument and start just completely talking around each other constantly. And it's not going to do yeah. anybody any good.
0: Right. Absolutely. And, and that actually, uh, gets into, I think what the next question would be, which is uh, what causes inflation, right? Which I think you, you hit on. So if we know that, uh, a, the change in prices is what we consider inflation um, if it's going up. And if it's going down, we consider that deflation. And you have different types of products that we would be measuring that, that cost or that price change for. Uh, you have consumable products, which would be like food uh, at the consumer level. Then you've got non-consumable products, which could be more uh, electronics. And then you've got asset uh, products, which would be stocks and bonds and homes. Each of those has a different profile uh, when we're looking at at prices going up or down. So that that feeds into how the government reports on the pricing information. And that also leads into a great area of debate. Um, but you, you have to think about those three sort of categories when you think about inflation. Uh, but if we actually get into the causes of inflation, right, thinking about the fact that uh, we have a rising in pricing, uh we have kind of three buckets that we can look at there. And I think you, you talked about the first one, which is maybe the traditional language of inflation was the idea of the monetary base. So if you have a government that prints its own currency, uh, like the US dollar is printed by the federal government, uh, then an increase of that money supply is considered inflation, right? Uh, and that so that's, that's sort of one bucket uh, where you, you actually get inflation. Uh, Then you have uh, the other one, which is around consumer demand, which is more of the one, uh, the definition that I think more people are familiar with, which is kind of this idea of of too many dollars chasing too few goods. That was kind of the language we used in in economics courses in in college. And so uh, there, if you've got uh, a consumer base that has wage gains that starts uh, demanding more and you have uh, the suppliers uh, with a certain amount of stock, right? Uh, over the long term, they're looking at prices going up, right? So then you, you can have some inflation there. And then the third one is more the supply shock one. And these this is what I think a lot of people would consider more of a transitory or temporary type of inflation. And so uh, we all experienced supply, supply shock questions and debates over the last year. Are we going to run out of uh, toilet paper or is toilet paper going to increase in price during COVID because there's not enough supply? And actually, I think the supply shock is where there's a lot of debate today about uh, whether or not this, these rise in prices are temporary as supply shocks brought on by the COVID shutdowns and adding on the, the policies of, of trade going on between the United States and China uh, and, and other trade partners is creating a restriction in the amount of available goods, which is increasing the price of those um, So do you think those are sort of the three main buckets for uh the causes of inflation
1: or- yeah i I think that 's spot on um, you know there's there 's always going to be a debate over what causes inflation. And the truth is, you know, the economy is a—it's an incredibly complex system. So there's there's a lot of reasons why inflation um, would come about. And one thing that we hear about right now is the greedy capitalists. Well, those greedy capitalists just keep raising prices and raising prices and raising prices. But there's much more to it than that. Uh, you know, one of the one of the great things about having A free market system, which we don't actually have a free market system, but one of the great things behind it is that competition, it it serves to keep the price level down and that prices will only go up when something else happens to the economy. Something happens that will uh, cause the cost of inputs to go up. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, for example, you know there's like you mentioned a supply shock. So something happens to the price of oil or the supply of oil so that the price of oil goes up. So now companies that are using oil as an input or uh, uh, using it to help uh, you know deliver goods, transport goods or something, right that's going to add to their costs and that'll push prices mm-hmm. up. but in in a world where, you know where there is competition, Everything else being equal, right? The competition is going to try to keep those prices down. Um, right. And this is one of the dangers of mixing business and government is when the government can regulate businesses and regulate them in a way to benefit uh, one particular competitor over the others, uh, then you can see that competitor raising prices Uh And and so you you need to be careful, right? So it's it's not, you know, when you hear that narrative about the greedy businessman, you know, what was it AOC is that, you know, the AOC said that billionaire is laying around on his couch while, you know, everybody else is out there sweating and, and killing themselves to make a profit for this guy. You know, that's not necessarily true. And just remember, you know, most of the businesses in the US, right, they're small and medium sized businesses, right? They don't have the market power to just raise their prices through the roof. You know, when you're talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. Jim's taco stand and, and, you know, Wendy's hardware store or whatever, right? These guys, they they don't have tons of market power. I'm sure they would love to have bigger profits, but they've got to compete with the bigger competitors. They've got to compete with the Home Depot's and the Walmart's. So they have to keep their prices at a certain level. And at the same time, you know, Walmart and Home Depot, right? They may not be worried about Mary's hardware store, but. In the collective, they they are. So if they raise their prices too high, then all the Little Mary's hardware stores that are in all the l- different cities, right, they're going to be able to uh, price lower than Walmart and, and Home Depot and undercut them. So I think it's really mm-hmm. disingenuous to just blame inflation on the greedy capitalists. So there are certainly greedy capitalists out there, yeah. but they are going to make their money Through the marriage of government and uh, business, they're going to make their money through the uh, regulatory regime that protects their business and gives it advantages. They're not they don't want to have to go out there and compete because that's hard work. It's much easier to pay off a senator to get a regulation or a law that will protect you. Just keep that in mind. Uh, so yeah. I, yeah, I think it's, it's really disingenuous when we hear these talks about, uh, you know, the greedy capitalists and this is a failure of the capitalist system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because uh, let's face it, the government has more control over the economy than any other entity. And so when we're talking about price levels, right, to say that it's, it's nothing that the government is doing is, it, it's just not rational. And so sorry, I got off on a little tangent there, but, you know, that's one thing yeah. that, you know, all this no, talk yeah. about, you know, capitalism's terrible, socialism is great, you know, just remember that in a world of pure capitalism, th- th- there will be inflation, but it's not going to be as rampant as people think. And if a company does manage to monopolize the market and get monopoly prices and monopoly profits, guess what? Competitors are going to come into that market and start eating away at it, you know, so, uh, right. you know, just being patient, if you're just patient, the monopolist will eventually get taken down, right? And I heard, you know, right. some folks might might want to uh, double check me on this, but I heard that by the time the government got around to tearing apart Standard Oil, Standard Oil's market share was already eroding because it had done so much for the industry as far as creating innovations and efficiencies that it actually allowed competitors to get into that market and start eating away at its market share, so just remember, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's always two sides to the coin. Right. Uh, yeah,
0: no, absolutely. And these are all principles that particularly in a period where we were having renewed debates about the, the values of central planning and what many people may consider socialism or communism versus the market, uh, there is – there's a short how do I put this P- People seem to have a very short memory of of what countries have to deal with um, what we've seen they've had to deal with with central planning uh, and so you know there's another concept of inflation, which is essentially unavailability of certain goods um, which i was I was reading in a, in a book this morning I had from college uh, talking about that uh, when you compare inflation rates. It's possible for some countries to say, well, look, we haven't seen inflation in our products like the USSR would do this back in the day. Well, that's because you had long bread lines where people just couldn't, didn't have the availability of the product, right? Uh, you, you ask young people uh, today what it would be like if they had to wait two years to get a new iPhone. And that was the cost of, of more central planning. Many of them, I think, would, would struggle with that concept and, and not be able to pull the, the pieces together to understand, well, why, why is that the case? Can't the government just produce more? Well, when you have the, the planning apparatus rather than the market apparatus, you have different outcomes and they're, uh, they, they have a difficulty actually allocating resources to their highest and best use because you're allocating resources based on different requirements. So um, that that's another type of inflation that uh, isn't really discussed because we're we're always tie, tying into costs and, and pricing, um, but availability of goods. You, you know, it's it's great to say, well, you know, the price of an apple is is still a dollar, but I haven't seen one in three years. Um, doesn't really do you much good if the price has gone up, but you just can't get uh, what you actually want. So uh, that's a that's a, something to consider. Um, but but coming back to the actual causes of inflation, so you know wh- what we're dealing with right now, and I think I think most of us have have seen this is a expansion of the the money supply, and so you know Scott and I have had a couple of conversations about MMT, uh, where we're skeptical about some of the theory, not all of it, but some of it feels as though they they place more trust in the federal government to be able to spend the money correctly to generate the growth and offset the rise in prices. So I think the theory would go something like the federal government invests money into different aspects of the economy. It could be infrastructure, it could be training. uh, It could even be what we traditionally consider activities for the private market, uh, such as uh, building consumables. And um, that then turns into wage gains for the consumer, uh, and productivity gains uh, for the economy at large, which then um, as as that growth occurs, those those gains at the wage level and at the uh, productivity level outstrip any gains that or the inflation that we would see. Uh, I don't think that's what we've seen in the last decade. What we've seen in the last decade is an increase of the broad money supply, which has had a increase in the asset prices. Uh, and Scott, I don't know. Do, do you think that that's the, the best, uh, I guess, description of what we've seen in the last decade or, or am I missing some aspect?
1: No, I think that's spot on. Um, and I've heard a, a lot of folks who were champions of MMT and champions of all the, uh, fiscal stimulus that the government was putting into the economy saying like, you know, listen, Obviously, there's no direct link between the money supply and consumer prices because we've been dumping tons of money into the economy for the last 10 plus years, 15 years, and we haven't seen prices go crazy. Um, So this is where the distinction really needs to be made, again, between different types of inflation, right? You've got consumer price inflation, you've got asset price inflation, and how the government is pushing the money into the economy, Right? Is the government giving the money to the middle and lower classes who are going to take that money and immediately spend it on consumer goods, you know, things like food and education and healthcare? Or are they giving it to the upper echelon of the economy? Um, where those folks, they don't, I mean, let's face it. They don't need the stimulus checks to go out and buy food, right? They've already got enough money for food. So they're going to take that money and do something else with it. And most likely they're going to invest it in real estate. They're going to put it in the stock market, et cetera, et cetera. So when we talk about that, well, and and that's the strategy the government's been following lately, Uh, Mm -hmm. Up until just these direct payments that happened over the last year, the government had been putting the money into the financial system and had been paying it out to uh, its politically connected cronies. Uh, You know, I'm thinking military industrial complex is probably one of the biggest benefactors. You know, when the government needs to pay General Dynamics or or Boeing or whoever for their missiles and planes and, you know, uh, the tanks – and whatnot, right? They, again, you know, the government doesn't have enough tax revenue to pay for that. So they print up the money and a, you know, check essentially gets sent to Boeing. And so then the Boeing executives, right, they get mm-hmm. their bonuses. So in that way, right, so it's a, it's a, it, I guess a sort of indirect way of pushing that money into that upper strata of society. So, and what, 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 what have we seen over the last 10 years? Well, we've seen a huge stock market bubble. I mean, we're seeing, uh, you know, the stock market, uh, I can't remember, something like, and it was like 200% overvalued or something like that, I think it was the last number mm-hmm. I saw. Um, but what that means is that yeah. the the prices of the stocks are incredibly high compared to the value of all the companies that make up the market. Um, and it, I don't hundred percent understand how they come up with that valuation, but what it does is it gives you an idea that stock prices are incredibly high right now. So while we haven't been seeing consumer price inflation, we've been seeing asset price inflation. Okay, so when yeah. you hear people, you know, especially the MMT folks, talking about how uh, you know we've been printing tons of money and we haven't seen inflation, well, that's not one hundred percent true. We have been seeing inflation. So when you hear uh, the right. pundits and the uh, economists talk about the stock market bubble, right? That's what they're talking about: is that all this money is getting pumped into the stock market, mm-hmm. and it's causing asset prices or the stock prices to increase. And then when we hear about wealth disparities, yep. Go ahead, you can well, jump in there. Well, I, I
0: think an interesting, yeah, the interesting point here is that it's it's very difficult for people to argue that we're not seeing asset inflation. Uh, just given the data that we see with the fact that we're the, the stock market, the Dow Industrial or the Nasdaq are at all-time highs, uh, the earning per share valuations are, are the highest that they've ever been or close to and uh, with no material growth or changing growth for the underlying companies. So th- that's a trigger in your mind to say, okay, the, the economy has inflated, Without the associated growth, because we talked about that, right? The inflation happens um, based on those dynamics. If you've got the growth, uh, and you've got you've got wages going up, but we haven't seen wages going up in the last decade. In fact, they've been stagnant for a very long time. Uh, and at the same time, we've seen the Guinea coefficient moving in a direction where you have more higher concentration of wealth, which. What, what that tells us is exactly what you said, which is that the, the rich, uh, and when, they, when, when the politicians t- are going to tell you, well, let's blame the rich, they're, 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 they're gaining all this wealth. Well, that's true, but that's also because the politicians have given them more money. And in, in some ways, they've what, what some people would call debasing of the currency because they've actually taken, uh, by just printing out more dollars, they give it to the wealthy, as, as Scott said. Those, those assets are just being repriced in the amount of money that's available. So there, there's there's different terminology that you may hear. You may hear debasement, you may hear asset inflation, uh, bubbles, but it's all basically coming back to the same thing. You've got a lot of excess liquidity that's existing in our economic system. It's going to the wealthiest um, because it's it's financial. It's not going out in wages. Uh, so it's just going out as, as money uh, that has not trickled down into more growth. And so that's why we're seeing these these asset bubbles. Um, I, yeah, I just I just wanted to highlight on that because take take the political language out of it. It is it's a um, it's a faux argument. It, while it can describe some of the challenges that we're dealing with, the the root cause is 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 actually attributed to the people that are talking about the solution. Right? I mean the 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 the, the Fed the The federal government. They they now they're talking about taxes for the wealthy, uh, but there are actually the reasons that we have the explosion in these asset prices to begin with.
1: Exactly, and you know when the when the rich folks when they get these these bailouts or these these you know enormous paychecks, however you want to look at it, uh, you know, and they take the money and they invest it in the stock market. Well, and the stock market bubbles up. Well, these folks, they're more heavily invested in the stock market than the lower and middle class yeah. are. Right. So their net wealth is increasing. The upper level's net wealth is increasing faster than the middle class and the lower classes. And we end up with wealth disparity. Okay. Right. So, you know, what's happening is a lot of the money it, that's being printed by the Fed, it is going to, these, the, to this upper echelon of society and they're able to invest it. So that their portfolios, their wealth is increasing faster than the middle and lower class. So you have a growing wealth disparity. So again, when you hear folks talking about the greedy capitalists, stop and ask yourself again, is it the greedy capitalists or is it the, the, the capitalist who is – well, let me t- rephrase that. <laughs> is it the greedy capitalist who's trying to compete in an open market? Or is it the greedy capitalist who is using proximity to the government power structure to uh, increase their net wealth that is causing this wealth disparity? And I think, uh, uh,
0: yeah, I want to cut in here because I, you know, I want to go back to the idea of, of describing terminology. When we talk about capitalism, in my definition it is a system uh, where a market determines prices and the products that are, that should be available, and it is an area of competition, right? When I hear people describe capitalism from a, I'd say from a political standpoint, they'll attribute it to uh, large corporations. Uh, they'll describe that as capitalism for, for good or bad. And I don't think that is, that is a positive way of talking about the philosophy and even the practical implications of capitalism. The, 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 the problem is that I think a lot of people today, they, they don't spend the time to talk about capitalism as the terminology and actually associate what, what it is, which is the allocation of capital to its highest to best use to serve markets. And what are markets? Markets are people. Right? This this isn't a disassociated idea where it's all about money. Money is a way in which we exchange value between acting parties in that market, but it comes down to people. Now that doesn't mean that there's not negative offsets for capitalism, or that there aren't market failures that we could we could discuss probably on a on a different podcast. It is to say though that is the intention of a capitalist model. Uh, and and so when we talk about cronyism and, and that you, what you've been highlighting, I, I don't I consider that a a problem with the capitalist model, but not because it it's um, that that's not because that's capitalism. Cronyism exists in a planned economy or a capitalist economy. Uh, grift and um, abusive people exist in both economies. It's just how much power are you willing to give them, uh, and. And it, to me, historically, we look at what happened in places like the USSR, you look at places like China uh, today, which have more of a command control socialist economy. And what you see is that you have massive amounts of wealth that, that accrue to the top and you have massive amounts of power that accrue to the top uh, without any of the other classes having any real way of, of distributing that and having, having a balance of power. Um, so it's hard for me to argue that those systems could be superior to a capitalist model, but it does come back to understanding what capitalism is and describing it, being honest about its failures. Because again, as I think as Winston Churchill said, ca- capitalism is the democracy and capitalism are the worst system except for all the rest. Right?
1: Yep. So exactly.
0: How, from a definitional perspective, what would you add or change?
1: No, you. you- you got it just right. Uh, you know capitalism it 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 exists on a continuum at at the most basic Nate, at at its most basic, the difference the capitalism is private ownership of the means of production. and communism or socialism is government ownership of the means of production. Um, so in capitalism, you know you would you have private parties who own the capital, but that one of the downsides to it is that that the people who own that capital can, get together with government to create regulations that benefit the, the owners of that capital uh, to the detriment of society. Um, mm-hmm. So you're right. People, when they, when they talk about the evils of capitalism, they don't, they don't take time to consider the nuances.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, again, like I said, you know, Mary's hardware store or, you know, John's taco stand that, you know, these folks that don't have, they don't have enough influence over their local politicians. They don't, they can't influence that regulatory environment. They're they're existing in a more free market system. Yeah. Um, so that that's good. And I've I've read some articles where some some folks have proposed um, you know g- coming up with new terms. Um, you know, right now what what seems to be popular is we have folks talking about the free market or free market capitalism versus crony capitalism. Um, you know, the problem with those, I think, is that they both still use the word capitalism. Um, so i i 've heard some mm-hmm. folks you know, float the idea of maybe coming up with new terms uh, it, but you're exactly right you know cronyism it exists in both both environments or all environments you know it 's just a question of where does it exist yeah. in a capitalist system. the cronies are the business owners um, in a socialist system. the cronies are going to just they 're going to move away from businesses and actually be in in the government actual parts of the government most right. likely. Um, so yep. they're still going to be there. Right. So getting rid of capitalism isn't going to magically magically fix the problems. Um, and no. you know, what we've said, you know, we've said this before, say it again. One way to combat this is to just limit the power of government. Yep. If, if you know, if if Facebook or Twitter or whoever, you know, if they if they can't go to the government to get the government to write regulations to keep competitors from entering the market then there's no point for facebook to to deal directly with the government and if the government doesn't have the ability to regulate in a particular in a particular environment right there's no incentive for the politicians to go to those companies and start threatening them essentially right. uh, it, it, it that's yeah. the best way to keep government and business separate is to just limit government's power right so that was <laughs> quite a it's bit not- of great yeah. yeah it's it I mean it's it definitely you know when we're talking about defining your terms you know when we're talking about capitalism right it's in good it definitely good to, to keep in mind what we're talking about
0: yeah absolutely well let's let's continue on with sort of our, our causes of inflation so we, we just talked about a monetary expansion um, and that's what we've seen uh with the quantitative easing activities that have occurred since the the great recession of uh, of 07 08 09 and um, you know the Lynn Alden article talked a little bit about the cause of this and th- this is something that i don't think receives enough airtime that the this the start of inflation and the expansion of the monetary base can have very different starting points and so uh, in that article she talks about um, the the comparison between World War II, where the United States government printed a lot of money, securitized that so they could actually go to war, versus the 1970s, which saw um, expansion at the uh, what we call M2, but it's more on the loan side. And so you saw a lo- a more leverage uh, being introduced uh, in the system. And uh, after World War II, what we had was we had a lot of technology uh, that had been produced for the war effort. We had a lot of GIs returning that were giving credit so they could go be uh, educated in college, the GI Bill, and then we saw a, a, a big growth in the economy. So you you have you have this massive crisis that starts. You start printing all this money, uh, and and to, to to address it, but you have the the gains that come from moving from a wartime to a peacetime economy. Um, after '08, and I would say in in the 1970s. You didn't have the same starting point, right? It wasn't the same conflict that had caused it. You bis- you had a change in the business cycle, uh, where there had been an, there had been bubbles in, in the case of the 1970s. You start to have asset, um, sorry, commodity prices change, and you had a lot of uh, rising in um, consumer um, labor uh, wages were, were going up, and then in, in the 2008 uh, seven, 2006 seven and eight. You had a massive rise in the bubble for the, for the housing, which again was, I think, uh, arguably caused by lending standards from the federal government, and 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 so to address that, they basically just printed money away. And what you what you see from that is that you don't have long term growth, right? So when we talk about inflation being good or bad and what is the cause of it, we should always bear in mind that there, what is our starting point? Why are we seeing a rise in prices? Is it, is, it, is it coming from the government trying to print money to put a Band-Aid and trying to, to sort of resuscitate a, a very slow economy? Or are we seeing it as a response to what I would consider uh, kind of a major, major challenge, be it a war? or uh, some kind of massive effort to send us to uh, the new frontier? Uh, and, and honestly, at this point, the only frontier that I could think of would be space, uh, where the, the, the federal government would spend trillions and trillions of dollars to get us prepared to go out to space. It would, it would massively increase the monetary supply, but the offset of that would be all the techno- technology that could um, eventually drive and propel us. Uh, does that have to happen that way? Could it be private sector? Again, probably a topic for another day. Just bear in mind that the starting point is important, right?
1: Exactly. Uh, and, yeah. and yeah, yeah. And I think you touched on something that's really important. There is, it, there's this idea that if there's slack in the economy, as far as productive productive capacity goes or productivity goes, that uh, you know the economy can absorb an increase in the money supply. Which is what we saw a lot after World War II. Like you mentioned, we had all these new technologies. We had people coming back from war. You know, we had devastation in Europe and and in the Pacific. Um, so there was a lot of room for growth there. You know what? Mm-hmm. In what we are seeing now is is different, right? We don't have as much room for growth. And one thing I don't know a hundred percent for sure, but just given the amount of interference the government has in the economy now, and the amount that it had in the post World War II era. I would suspect that post World War II, the money was directed more by the free market. It went where it was needed, based off of um, essentially with consumer demand. Mm-hmm. Whereas it, with something like MMT, you know we we need to count on some central planners to decide where the money goes. Right, and that that's going to be difficult. So. It, how how do we ensure that the politicians are sending the money – are efficiently s- spending the money? How are, how do we know that they're sending it into the parts of the economy that truly need it? And right. this is you – know, one of the things with this infrastructure bill is that we're seeing that everything is being called infrastructure. Everything. So how do we know that – yeah. How do we know that the money is going to something that we actually need it to go to?
0: And, and uh, it, you know, I want to point out something that you just said that's, that's so critical. You said um, – and I and I I think I have a different view, and I'm not even sure it's what you actually meant. You said where that where uh, where the money is needed most, and this is almost an ideological view, right? Because the capitalist is going to say where is that dollar going to be most productive. Right? So if I invest one, am I going to get right, two, exactly. three, four yeah. back? Whereas what you're seeing now is a discussion of, of ch- trying to change the terms of how we measure the health of the economy. Andrew Yang talked a lot about that in his uh, presidential run in 2016, uh, uh, that didn't, obviously didn't go anywhere. Uh, but he talked about how we need to take a, a fuller view of health, right, uh, and our mental health and all these other measures of how do we actually measure the the, the economy the government whichever government you have in place is going to have a different idea of what the need is right and that that is i think fundamentally the challenge i have with governments and mmt spending because they start to expand the goalposts right move the goalposts of what we mean by the terms of the return on on investment and so if If the government over the next 10 years is going to spend massively into infrastructure and the investment that they're going to receive is going to be uh, you know measured by the need right which could could easily be be measured by the political votes rather than the investment that's going to churn a greater yield um, off of productivity and off of economic expansion so i mean I, do, do you do you see it the same way or, or differently?
1: No, I think that that's good. Um, I just, yeah, I I guess I'm just in that mode of thinking, you know, send the money to where it's going to do the most good, but you're right. Right. We need to send it to where it's going to be the most productive. And, you know, maybe that's just splitting hairs. But again, Mm -hmm. um, I can see the argument being made that, you know, sending the money to, you know, study, you know, I don't know, the mating habits of some beetle. Somebody could say, "Well, that's going to do us a lot of good, but it's not going to be terribly productive yeah. if we do that." Um, so, it, yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, it, it doesn't change the larger idea, like you said, right? We need to we need to have a better mechanism for making sure that the money gets to where it's going to be the most productive. Yeah. And the question is is you know the free market or is some you know planner sitting in DC with a spreadsheet? You know, um, the best the best method for doing that.
0: right, 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 right.
1: So uh, and
0: I, I know we've we've kind of jumped around a couple of different uh, topics here, but we, we we talked about the main cause of inflation. We talked about monetary expansion. You have consumer demand, right, which is that as you see wage gains increasing, you'll typically see inflation because those wage gains turn into price increases. As, as more people have more money to spend, right? Uh, and in the United States, what you've seen in, is very low wage gains over the last, uh, I wanna say 20, 20 30 years. And the, the argument there goes that we've seen a decrease in labor movements, so less unionization. Um, the wage gains that have occurred have gone to the top 10, 20% of the economy. So people that are highly educated uh, have more corporate type of gigs. Um, are, are actually seeing uh, wage increases, but anybody on the bottom 50% is seeing stagnation. Um, but that is where you would see uh, potentially other types of uh, inflation. And then the last one is just supply shock, which which we talked about. Now, Scott, in, from your perspective, we just saw news come out saying, you know, the Fed's saying, hey, there's no inflation. Now we're seeing inflation numbers that go up month over month, year over year. A lot of it sounds like maybe it could fit into that transitory argument that, hey, this is just a supply shock that's working its way through the system. We've got people opening up from COVID, plus we've got stuff that's sitting in ports in L.A. It's it's all going to be transitory. We don't need to worry about it. How do you interpret that information? <laughs>
1: um, so, again, I think the theme of this podcast is define your terms. So what do you mean by (laughs) transitory? Right. right. Um, And I think Lynn Alden did did a great job in her article explaining this is that uh, there's two types of transitory inflation, or you can break it down into two categories, right? She terms one absolute transitory, which means it truly is temporary. Um, So there's a supply shock. So the price is going to go up, but in a month when the supply shock is over, the price is going to come back down to where it was pre-shock level.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, then there is what she called rate of train rate of, excuse me rate of change transitory inflation, and that is where um, it, it, a product will start to or a price will start to inflate, and it'll be a pretty steep clear curve. It'll be inflating pretty rapidly, and then we get over the supply shock or or whatever's causing that rapid inflation, and the product continues to inflate but it does so at a slower rate Mm -hmm. or it may even deflate, but it never gets back down to the pre shock level. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think this is great because when, when I was reading this article, I was like, yeah, you know, this is really interesting. And, yeah, we keep hearing the fed say that this is transitory inflation, but they're not telling us which type of transitory inflation is it. (laughs) Um, You know, so, you know, what, what can we hope for here? Right. Is the, is the price of my breakfast sausage going to go back down to what it was six months ago, or can I just hope that it's just not going to get more expensive as fast as it has over the last six months. Um, And it, you know, and it's a big deal because, You know, we not haven't gotten to the part yet where we're going to talk about you know whether inflation's good and who it helps and who it hurts. But a lot of the people that we talk about wanting to help are people on fixed incomes, and inflation is 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 bad for people on fixed incomes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when we're talking about you know this, I just feel like you know again it's being disingenuous on the part of the government when they're just telling people, oh, don't worry. You know, it's just transitory, you know, making people think that the prices are just going to come right back down to where they were and that we just need to suck it up for, excuse me, some, some short time. And I haven't, I don't know, Paul, have you seen anything from the Fed to where they've tried to explain what transitory inflation is or anything? Uh, I just, everything that I get is they're just saying that it's just temporary. Don't worry about it.
0: Right, right. So I I don't think I have. And th- this again comes back to the point of confusion where the the terminology is um, doesn't seem to be consistent uh, across either the commentators and the uh, the Fed uh, and, and and perhaps the rest of the government. And I I also feel like it's it's the challenge of, of deciphering sort of political code where uh, the the Fed doesn't want to give indications of what type po- of po- policy it will. Um, it will adhere to in the next year. So they give kind of cryptic information. And, uh, that's, that's a challenge, right. As we're, as we're trying to figure out how to deal with our day-to-day lives. <laughs> so no, I, I don't think I have, and, and to your point that sort of describing the, the difference in the transitory rate, if it's just the rise or, or the the pacing of it or the, the velocity of it. Um, i don't think they've done a great job to me from what i can tell uh you supply shocks were going to occur i was expecting them i don't think we saw them in 2020 necessarily the way we thought we would so i expected something to happen in 2021 and then what you've seen with the rise in the commodity prices to me says we've got um we're going to have some kind of rise in prices and it's unclear to me how much of this will truly be transitory i.e. the rate of change month over month will just drop back um, or or are we just gonna, or you know are we going from a two and a half to three percent rise in inflation you know every year going forward? I, I, if, if I understand what you know some of the pundits are saying moving forward, the the monetary supply has increased. It's going to continue to increase um, because the government is going to be spending more money. So that's mo- that's that pressure that we talked about the the sort of monetary expansion. Now, how they do that uh, is is going to impact whether or not this is a, a short term kind of supply shock, or whether it just leads to higher asset prices, or if it's higher asset prices and it's higher consumer prices, right? Because not all not all goods are going to feel the shock in the same way. Um, I, I, I struggle, though, to think that it's it's going to be transitory um, in that people are expecting us to be able to go back to December or, uh, let's say, November of last year, where uh, prices sat and think that we're going to see those prices rebound back to those levels. Uh, I think one of the points that Lynn's article pointed out was that while uh, supply shock increases do rebound or, or, or come down, they typically create a new base rate that's higher right so prices don't you know if it's at a dollar it goes up to a dollar 50 they don't go back to a dollar they'll go back to a dollar five or a dollar ten right so you're 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 constantly going to be seeing that that rate go up so um that's yeah 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 and
1: that's that's the important of base rates importance of base rates is understand what you're looking at so in your your scenario there where a price goes from a dollar to a dollar 50, then back down to a dollar five, you know, what do you think you're going to hear from the pundits and the politicians? Oh, look, prices came down from a dollar 50 to a dollar five, but you're still sitting there going, yeah, but it's still more expensive than it was before this whole thing started. So remember your base rates. Yeah. Okay. Make sure you're, you know what you're comparing. Right. Um, Yeah. And one thing that Lynn brought up in that article that I thought was really good is that when when in inflation is a result of an increase in the money supply generally once the money's out there it's out there for good yeah which means inflation that comes from an increase in the money supply is probably rate of change inflation so like you said it's it, it it's never going to completely go away right um whereas you know, there are certain things out there that are that are probably more expensive now because of supply shock. And I'm thinking, you know, again, with oil, the price of oil because of that hacking of that pipeline. Right. That's that is something that it may be more absolute.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: that once that gets reopened and everything's working again, you know, the price of uh, of gas may co- may start to come down or the price of oil may start to come down back close to where it was. Um, but, you know, you've got two things competing there. Right. You've got the supply shock and an increase in the money supply are both happening at the same time. So yeah. I think it's it's pretty safe to say that I agree with you that we're not going to see prices come back down to where they were. Right. Um, they may come down a little um, from their highs, but um, this inflation, I think, is here to stay. Yeah, and
0: another point from that article, which I thought was very telling was – that we've been in a longer period of a decline in labor versus capital. And that's the way she creates that axis. And uh, we've seen a reduction in people joining unions. So union participation is down. And now you're starting to see a, a rise in efforts to try and unionize. So they, they've they done that recently with um, ride sharing. Uh, they've also put it in place where it's not so much union, but they put in uh, more policies where, Sort of the, the gig economy is more employer based, which which kind of sets sets the stage for more of a discussion about unionization and and labor. Uh, and then we just saw another battle in with Amazon about labor. So when when we have such a large degree of inequality in the country, and we have an administration and more discussion about unionization, I think it's fair to say that. You're going to see a pendulum swing back towards there where union and labor has potentially a a stronger power, which means that they have more say on wages. And if they're able to get the the win behind them and have some momentum, there's there's more benefit for many people to try and, and and join and unionize because they're able to see the gains that other people have. That could materialize into higher, higher wages, which then could lead more into the CPI inflation, right? Or the the consumer price inflation. So we if you have the supply shock, then you at the same time have monetary base increase, then you have also a push towards more unionization. You've got several forces that could push prices up, and that's so i, I think uh, that model suggests that we're we're heading for a period of higher prices, right not just out of assets but actually consumable goods
1: absolutely, I agree one hundred percent so so is it
0: is it time for us to talk about who's hurt and and who benefits from inflation?
1: I think so. Um, do we want to you know talk about how we measure inflation um, and the the difficulties in that? So that <laughs> it seems like it goes uh, goes hand in hand with who's, hand who's hand. hurt and who's not hurt.
0: Absolutely. Do you want to kind of take us down that path of talking about CPI? Yeah.
1: yeah so CPI is the uh, measure of inflation that we hear about the most. It's the It's short for consumer price index. And what it is, is the government, they essentially take a basket of goods and services um, and they measure the price change over some period of time. Uh, One of the difficulties with it is that that basket of goods and services, it changes over time. So when you're talking, when you're looking at the CPI in 2020, trying to compare it with a CPI in 1975, right, you may not be talking about the same goods and services. Um, and it's not a straightforward just measure of, you know, is milk more expensive today than it was last year, or is a laptop more expensive today than it was last year, right? They, the government sort of, uh, Let's just say let's be, let's be generous here and let's say they adjust the numbers. we'll right? steel, steel man a little bit here. They adjust the numbers to try to make it a little more accurate. Um, so in the case of consumer electronics, they try to account for an increase in the quality of the electronics. So that, um, sure. You know, that iPad that you bought this year is maybe 10% more expensive than the iPad you bought two years ago, but that new iPad does so much more, right? It's got more memory. It's faster, blah, blah, blah. So they, based off of that, they may judge that there was no inflation in the price of that iPad, even though absolute dollars, you had to pay out more to get it. You got more in return. Um, we see that a lot with automobiles, um, I think one of the examples that Lynn gave is that some automobiles have gone up like 200%, yet the government is telling us that there's only been 20% inflation in the cost of the automobile. Right. Um, so so when, when you hear that number, you know, again, This is one of the disconnects. You hear, you know, uh, you know, inflation's under one percent, but then you're looking at actual prices and you're seeing something different. This is part of the disconnect is that the government tries to uh, they try to adjust the numbers to make it a little more reflective of reality. Mm -hmm. And whether you agree with that or not, whether you think that the government is purposely massaging the number to make it lower, um, which some folks have accused the government of doing you need to be aware that it's not just a straight up measure of how much prices have changed. Um, yeah. And also uh, how they weight the items in the basket changes over time. Yep. Um, so, you know, food may not get weighted the same as a new TV may not get weighted the same as a car. Uh, so that can change over time as well. And so that's another area where the government can make adjustments. So understand what the CPI is, Uh, understand its shortcomings and understand that there is the ability to massage it a bit.
0: Yeah, no, I I think that's a great description of of the CPI and, and also understanding that technology does have a deflationary um, impact on, on price when you consider the advancements that it can provide. And so technology is the easy one to, to select because most people have a phone, uh, they realized that the phone that they had 10 years ago had a 10th or 1, 100th one of the capability that their existing phone does, uh, for uh, you think about the apps that you have and the fact that you can measure your heart rate on, on a smartphone and you yeah. can, uh, now use it to do navigation. All of those capabilities didn't
1: exist in the same way yeah. 10 years ago, right? Yeah, and how much it does not having a cord, I mean, how much is that worth?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly yeah. it.
1: So, uh, yeah, so it's, younger folks out there, phones used to actually be connected to the wall with a cord.
0: That's right. That's right. Well, and and it's funny. You can ask people, uh, show me what it is to hold a phone up to your face. And some people will do it with a palm. Because they have a flat phone, and then other people do it uh, with their finger and their pinky, their thumb oh, and their yeah, pinky, yeah. Right? right? The the, the difference and um, how we how we use phones, so you can tell the the difference in generations. Scott and I are of the uh, the, the thumb and pinky uh, generation. We're a little yeah. bit older <laughs> that way.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. The uh, rotary dial, so, so big the, uh, ringer thing.
0: The, yes, and um, you know the. I guess that's a that's a part to. An aspect to consider when you're doing your analysis on inflation or thinking about it, that it, it is definitely truthful to say that the technology advancements on some of the items that you consume um, or, or that you that you acquire, like phones, have definitely improved them. Computers uh, have seen the tremendous gains, but it, also in other products. So you could you could look at some food products, and this is this is highly controversial, I, I imagine, but. You know, you could say, well, the shelf life has increased and now we've boosted them with vitamins. And so the apple that you get now lasts longer and it has more nutrients. Uh, I know a lot of people would say, well, I, I, I don't trust GMOs. Therefore, this is actually a de- de- degrading the, the quality. So there, you're always going to have those debates, but the technology can have a deflationary effect. So uh, just because uh, prices go up, it doesn't mean that you've necessarily received less, the, the, the value principle.
1: So, yeah. And that deflationary effect serves to offset some of the inflation that you're seeing in other areas. Right. So if food prices are going up, but technology, you know, has seen, has stayed the same or has gone down, right? It's, it's going to offset the increase in the food prices. So what you're seeing with the CPI is a bit more of a weighted average than an actual number telling you, um, what's gone up in price. And th- the problem with that is a lot of the things that go down in price or have low rates of inflation because of increases in quality are more once. Whereas yeah. the things that are inflating faster, like food and shelter and uh, fuel, right? Those are needs. Uh, yeah. So, um, it, it, so again, you know, CPI can be a little disingenuous and it reminds me of the story. Yeah. Lynn Alden told it in her article about, I think it was was the head of the New York Fed or something was was talking to some folks in New York. And one of the concerns was the increase in the price of food. And this guy from the Fed just kept yeah. talking about how, oh, inflation's low, inflation's low. And then he explained about, you know, how the iPad is now, you know, more powerful than it was. And uh, as a reason why, you know, well, you know, this is actually a good thing. And, and someone apparently raised their hand or just shouted out, uh, you know, we can't eat an iPad. So, you know. Yeah. And that's that's great. It's a great story and it's a great example of a weakness of the CPI, right? Is that you yeah. know the, the the measure of the things that we really need is most likely very understated.
0: Right. Yep. And that actually dovetails really nicely into our next part of the discussion uh which is our who is hurt or impacted by inflation, right? Um and what what's interesting to me, is that much of the discussion depends on who you're talking to, uh, and and the idea that the the poor, um, the poor mo- uh, with some mobility, the middle class at the bottom, the middle class at the top, the wealthy, and then the ultra wealthy, right? You you can look at all of them, and the story about inflation can can be a little bit different, right? Um, I think one of the narratives uh, that you hear from people that are very much into sort of the gold and the store of value narrative, so I'll use Anthony Pompliano, he talks a lot about the fact that inflation is a way to transfer money to the wealthy at the expense of the poor. And the, the thinking there being that the, the poor don't have assets, they have either cash or debt, and so their cash is being eroded as, uh, through debasement effects. So the, the, you know, what we've seen in the last 10 years of the, the, um, the wealthy being able to, uh, take, take the, the money coming from the monetary supply and just reinvest it. So they're just getting more and more money. Right. Uh, and so, th- and, and the wealth or the, the poor just don't have no, no place to go. They haven't seen wage increases, right. They don't have the money to invest in assets. Um, so th- they're getting screwed. Uh, and Lynn presents a, a different perspective that I, I thought was valuable, saying that, well, while it's true that their cash is eroding, we haven't seen that kind of, in the last decade at least, we haven't seen that rise in prices for the, at the consumer level um, as much as perhaps you could. Now, again, CPI can be debated, but her analysis suggests, while the actual inflation rate may be higher. It's certainly not uh, several orders of magnitude higher. So, um, you know, the poor relatively... Speaking, haven't seen massive wage uh, or price increases. Um, while their cash isn't is losing some value, uh, it's not perhaps losing as much. Um, and, but they're not able to to build wealth. The other side of it is that uh, their debt is is being eroded as well during that period, as inflation will will actually take away the the cost of servicing it. Is sort of a, an argument. So when you think about inflation impacting the poor, um, and, you know, we're using that term loosely, I, I think you could look at people that live under the poverty line, which I don't know what the current level of is $15,000 or $18,000. Um, which argument do
1: you think holds the most water? I, th- I think it's a mixture. I was, before reading that article, I went with the conventional wisdom that inflation helped the rich by increasing asset prices, and it hurt the poor by increasing consumer prices. And I know, uh, you know, some folks refer to inflation as a shadow tax, and it's Mm -hmm. a regressive shadow tax in that it, it, like I mentioned before, you know, if, you know, the price of your breakfast sausage goes up 50 cents, the 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 fat cat banker probably isn't going to notice. Whereas, you know, the, the single mom who's trying to raise a family, right. She's going to notice. So, but I think the, yeah, her argument that that is offset by um, how much uh, inflation decreases your debt or the, the impact that it has on debt uh, is something that we need to definitely take into consideration. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's true. I know, um, you know, in the libertarian economist world, some folks have accused the government of purposely trying to inflate its way out of the national debt. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that idea that inflation helps the debtor, I think that's a real. I think that's real. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the the question is is you know how much, right? So the the lower in the middle class, they're definitely more likely to be in debt. They're more like more likely to hold debt. So it would be good it's good that they get some relief but if the if prices are going up faster than the than the cost of servicing that debt is going down right they're still getting hurt and so yeah. in the long term you know which is better and then you know what about you know what about that middle class person who has scrimped and stay, saved to stay out of debt mm-hmm. uh, you know to because they try to do things right so should they get punished yeah. Uh, for doing that, or not not necessarily punished, but should someone who is less responsible benefit? Yeah. Uh, so that that's one thing that she didn't bring up that I think. And and granted, you know, her article was strictly about economics, and I'm thinking a little bit more broadly than that. Yeah. Um, but but th- those
0: are important factors to consider when we when we're talking about who is hurt or who who benefits from inflation. Uh, there is. Out of just I'm not sure if necessity, but but it's sort of the next part of the discussion is, well, what do you do about it? how do you how do you try and fix that? If you took the information that she provides, you could almost argue, well, then you can inflate. Um, you can actually benefit some of the poor who aren't on fixed income. She does carve out for fixed income, right? She mentions that specifically that if you're on social security or if you're on, let's say, UBI, or if you're on um, some other type of fixed income type of scheme, that the consumer price inflation does does impact you in a harmful way, right? You clearly can't consume as much, and you don't have a way to to earn more money. Um, so that's problematic. If you're if you're tied to wages, I think another aspect of our argument is that one of the reasons that the inflation is going to be increasing is because your your actual wages are going up, so you're going to be consuming more, right? Uh, and and so that that's going to offset some of the, the price increase, assuming that those wage gains are actually going up. So I, I do think that um, kind of like you, I think it's a mixed bag. It, it made me think a little bit differently about um, the arguments, maybe the Anthony Pompliano argument for saying that it's just a pure tax on the poor, especially she she provides some really infor- really interesting information that I think it's originally from Ray Dalio that shows periods of inflation that actually decreased the amount of wealth that was concentrated. So the G, the the Gini, I, think, I, I call it the Gini co- coefficient. I'm not sure if you pronounce it differently, but that that's basically a measurement of of wealth concentration. It, it actually improved, so that you have more just dis- dis- a higher distribution of wealth uh, during periods of inflation, which I think supports her argument. Um, now, one thing that that isn't I don't, maybe I missed it in her article, but I, I think it's also something to consider is what's your starting point for where that inflation goes? Because um, she, she, she took that, that information from Ray Dalio and I've read some of his work and he talks about the fact that we've been in a massive credit cycle since I believe the 40s or 50s and that what we're seeing is a, is a very protracted decline in GDP and productivity, Right? So people people tend to look year over year, month over month, maybe decade over decade. He's talking about multiple decades. So while her argument may say, well, listen, the poor actually had some gains during this last inflationary period of the 70s. If you look at the overall growth rate of the economy in the country, it's actually declined, uh, and and you know the, the trajectory is not where we want it to go. Right? It's it's moving down, not up. So the, the if if we start entering a period of uh, in the next twenty you know next ten years where we're already down and now we're seeing this this deflationary or this inflationary period kind of maps to the seventies, we don't really have gains to offset it, right? Um, and we don't have a, a a building base to offset it. That to me is pretty concerning, and and I have to believe that at the end of the day, along with technology innovation, which starts to require more education and, and gets rid of jobs of lef- lesser skill that the inflation may may hurt the may hurt the rich by taking away value of their assets but overall the poor are going to be hurt even more um is is something in the back of my mind
1: yeah that's a that's a good point and i think you know, like we've said a few times throughout the short history of our podcast, the economy is incredibly complex. There's a lot going on, and anyone who claims that they can pick out one segment and tell you exactly what's happening and what it, everything that's that's going on, that's going to infect that affect that one segment, and what's going to happen in the future, I think they're they're selling you a bit of snake oil there. Um, The only thing we can really say for sure is what happened in the past. And even then, explaining why what happened happened is, I mean, there's still a lot of argument over that. I mean, we can't even agree on what got us out of the Great Depression. So, (laughs) um, you know, the the economy, it's a very fluid thing. It's very hard to measure, very hard to judge. um, And you just have to be accepting of some uncertainty there, I think.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I agree. Well, well, Scott, we've covered a lot of ground here. Um, I, I know we we just talked briefly about some of the impacts of people, but do do you think that um, you know there's more to cover in terms of the rich and the middle class in terms of impact? I mean, I think uh, I think it's kind of straightforward from that perspective. If you're if you're in the middle class, you're kind of squeezed. If you're in the poor, you may or may not get it impacted. And then the rich, while they they, they may see their assets go down. Um, the they have less money to invest, but they're not going to be impacted in the same way, right? They're not worried about having enough money to, to put food on the table, to shelter. The needs are all met.
1: Right. Yeah. And there we didn't bring it up, but there is this, it's called a Cantillon effect. And that idea is, this again goes to the growing wealth disparity. But the idea is that the person who receives the money first, when there's an increase in the money supply, they benefit from it. The most because they're able to spend it before prices have started to go up. So if the you know the government gives me a hundred dollars and a gallon of milk costs a dollar, right? I benefit from that because I now have more money. And the price of milk is still the same. Then by the time that money moves through the economy and it gets down to the lower class, well, we're already starting to see the price of milk having gone up. Yeah. Um, so. And that's a, that's really interesting. And it's, it's more complicated than that, but there, there is that also that goes into it, that that's another way that the, the rich and the politically connected can benefit from this, um, you know, endless money printing scheme is -hmm. that they're the first ones who receive the money. So they're the ones who benefit from it the most. Um, so that's definitely something that I'd recommend people go research. Um, The other thing too is, you know, going back to the CPI, just, you know, remember that the map is not the territory, you know, the CPI, it's, it's a model. It's, it's a statistic. It's, you know, a weighted average of different factors. Uh, So it would really do you good to start breaking that apart and looking at different areas. Mm. Um, You know, so, you know, like I mentioned, right, if, if the cost of food is going up, but the the cost of electronics is not, or, you know, according to this measure, it's not. I mean, that, that, there's still a huge impact on the people who are struggling to buy food for their families, Mm -hmm. right? Those people, they could care less about the cost of an iPad and how much memory they get, right? They, they care about the cost of, of rice and meat and beans. Uh, So just, you know, keep that in mind. So when you hear, When you hear people talking about inflation, don't just wave it off and say, "Well, you know, inflation's only a tenth of a percent or whatever." What are you complaining about, right? There's there's real impact, right? Break it apart and look at the different segments.
0: Yep, absolutely. Well, I think with that we will wrap it up for today. Uh, There's there's many more questions on inflation that we could talk about, and uh, I think we'll have to get to those on another day. There's it's just a very complex topic, uh, as we discussed today. Just Setting your terms, understanding the, the different buckets of of how to measure inflation in terms of the different assets and, and 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 consumed products, and then thinking about how how we currently measure it with the CPI, and lastly, you know, as inflation goes up, does it help or hurt people? I think all of that is is part of the discussion that you should have, either mentally as, as when you're hearing information or when you're actually uh, dialoguing with somebody who um, who thinks that. Um, inflation is is the worst uh sort of outcome or it, it's something you don't have to worry about hopefully now you've got a, a set of tools and thoughts you can use to, for that discussion so uh we appreciate your time check us out wherever you are if you're on stitcher you're on uh, apple podcast you're on uh, spotify or you're on youtube um let us know your thoughts let us know what we're missing about the uh, inflation discussion and let us know what else we should cover and uh until our next time take care